Well, good morning, LifePoint. How's everybody doing today? Awesome. Good to hear it. Hey, if you are new and visiting with us for the very first time, uh, we would love to connect with you. If you wouldn't mind just texting the word welcome to the number on the screen, 406-219-0314. Follow the prompts. If you're watching online, do the same thing. Uh, we would love to uh, connect with you at some point in the future. Church is all about relationships, right? A relationship with God and a relationship with one another. And so uh, we're excited to uh, start that relationship. We're also excited, excuse me, about a life group starting up this week. Yeah, that's exciting, right? You guys can be excited. It's okay. It's church. Be excited, right? Uh, yeah, life groups. If you have not signed up for a life group, uh, they are starting this week. Uh, excited about that. LifePointMT.org slash life groups, or just go to our homepage and then connect and then find uh, life groups. You can sign up for uh, any life group. It's not, you know, there's different locations, but it doesn't matter which group you sign up. As long as it's open, uh, it's for you. And so uh, life groups meet for about eight weeks, and uh, we talk about the message, learn to apply uh, the scriptures to our lives, and uh, build relationships with each other, and uh, pray for and care for one another. That's so, so very important, and so that, that is our goal for life groups. I encourage you to get plugged into a life group for this, uh, this spring, spring season. Is it spring? Is it, is it technically spring? I'm not even, sh- I'm not sure when it starts. Soon. It's starting soon. <laughs> Let's pray. It comes quickly. I'm tired of it. I, I'm just going to say, I'm tired of it. Lord, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the, the, the weather. I'm ready for spring. Uh, but hey, if you have a Bible, let's get into the Word of God. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, if you have the scriptures with you, go ahead and open there. If you do not, we will have the scriptures up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well. But we, are, we are back in Galatians, back in Galatians. And we're actually going to finish chapter 5 today. Come on. Finally, some of you are like, are we ever, somebody said last week, I think we should rename our church to the Church of Galatia, so, and I think that was a compliment, I think it was, but uh, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, the fruit of the Spirit over the past few weeks, and really you can never talk enough about walking in the Spirit, right? Uh, This isn't something that ends when we end this uh, section of Scripture. This is something that we continue on all throughout life. I mean, we are to walk in the Spirit. Really, what we're talking about is what the Spirit produces in our lives when we choose to walk in Him. And He wants to produce some amazing things in our lives, amen? And that's really what we've been looking at. Uh, These are divine things. These are spiritual things. These, These are things that are not in us, right? These are not naturally in us. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. And so uh, these are the things that God really wants to instill uh, in your life and my life. And they are the things, let me remind you, they are the things that we should be known for, right? When the world looks at the church, do they see uh, this wonderful bouquet of attitudes living out within the church today? They ought to, right? This is what the church should see uh, in us. And so We've been walking through this list, and we're going to finish this list today, Lord willing. But if you're new to LifePoint, you're kind of new maybe to uh, not just LifePoint, but you're new to the book of Galatians. Let me give you just a a little bit of a snapshot of what's happening here in Galatians. Galatians, of course, was written by a guy by the name of Paul. He was an apostle. He was a a person who uh, wrote a lot of scripture and uh, started a lot of churches, of course. And he led these people to the Lord. Uh, He shared the gospel with them. And uh, there were many churches that were born in this region of Galatia. And uh, so these people believe the gospel. They, they believed the, the message that Jesus died for their sins, was buried, rose again from the grave. They believed all of those things. But there came a group of people 
into the church, crept into the church and began to teach false ideas and false doctrine. Uh, and, and they began to tell them essentially that they needed more than Jesus, that they needed more than the cross, they needed more than the gospel, they needed religion, they needed to become a Jew, they needed to become a person of Jewish faith and you know, follow the rules and follow the law and all of these kinds of things, and they really began to buy into that ideology. Uh, and so Paul, of course, writes a letter and says, whoa, time out, guys, like, that's not true, right? Um, the gospel is enough for you. Uh, in Jesus is enough for you, not only for your justification, but also your sanctification, right? Not only for your salvation uh, in relationship with God, but also for your growth uh, in, in Christ. And so uh, this letter is all about that very thing. And so uh, Paul wants them to understand, look, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. Uh, and really the same is true for all of us, right? We can so be deceived uh, by false ideas that bind to this idea of like legalism, right? That if you just kind of follow the rules in life, everything will be good. Uh, and that's really not true, right? You can follow the rules and not love Jesus. Isn't that true? You can do a lot of good things. You can look religious, be religious, uh, make people think that you're a very spiritual person, but in your heart, you cannot love Jesus at times, right? We can, we can live that way. And so God is more concerned about your love for him than about you keeping the rules. And so that is really uh, the message to the churches at Gal in Galatia. And so Paul's advice really to kind of get our, our bearings a little bit in chapter five and verse 16 really gives us this big, big, bold statement and that is this, if we walk, verse 16, if we walk in the Spirit, uh, we won't gratify or fulfill the desires of the flesh. I mean, we have this wonderful promise that if we choose to walk in Him, let Him lead us, we actually won't be as prone to let the flesh win in our lives. And when we choose to do that, guess what happens? The fruit, right? The fruit comes, the fruit comes. Uh, and so check it out with me just so we are kind of familiar again with what's happening here. Chapter five and verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, is joy, is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Uh, and then in verse 23, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And so here's the bottom line this morning. It's been the same uh, for the past couple of weeks and we're gonna lean into this one last time this morning. Uh, and that is, is that fruit's meant to be shared. Right, The fruit that the Spirit wants to produce in your life and my life is not just for us. It's not just for LifePoint Church. It's not just for us Christians. It's actually meant to be shared not only with one another, but it's also meant to, sh to be shared with those that are outside of the faith. That we would have this mindset that the things that the Spirit wants to produce in me is supposed to have an impact upon the relationships I have with everyone, everyone that they would see this in us, these qualities, that they would kind of spill over into the lives of other people. And that's really the point of fruit, right? Uh, that I'm going to give you this in order for those things to impact your marriage, your friendships, your workplace, and the people that you interact with in the world. Fruit is meant to be shared. And so let me give you just a few questions to ponder, because I think it's so important that we ask the right questions of ourselves, that as we're confronted with these things, we don't just say, oh, that's just like great Bible stuff today, and then we let it kind of like go over our heads, but that we would actually ask ourselves, are these things in me? Do I have this fruit in my life? Is it visible? Is it visible in our church? Do people come when they walk through the doors for the first time? Do they feel like this sense of like uh, overwhelming love that we have for one another? And for the Lord Jesus Christ, do they sense joy? Do they sense peace, right? Uh, do, do, we, do we seek to share that 
with those that are outside of the faith, outside of these walls? I hope so. And those are just some really sobering questions that we ought to think about as we tackle these last three fruit of the Spirit uh, that we're going to look at this morning. And let's do that. Let's jump in, and uh, we're going to get through them as quickly as possible. And then then we're going to finish up kind of the chapter, verses 24, 25, and 26, and kind of give some explanation of what uh, Paul is saying as he wraps up chapter 5. And then we get a whole other chapter to go, right? whole other chapter. Um, We'll see how long it takes to get through that. But uh, this is good at times. We don't always do this, but it's good at times to just take our time to walk through a book of the Bible and really explain it uh, the best that we possibly can so we understand. So uh, number seven, we're, in the, we're on the seventh uh, fruit of the Spirit here in our list. What, is this, what does the uh, Spirit produce? The Spirit produces faithfulness, amen? Uh, the Spirit produces faithfulness. Verse 22, again, the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and now faithfulness. Faithfulness is really this next, next aspect of the fruit. And remember, these aren't like one one day, one the next. Like the Spirit's not, hey, it's Monday, it's, you know, faithfulness Monday, you know, and it's Peace Tuesday, you know. That's not really how it's meant to, to work. It is, it is all of these fruits, all of these ideas. Think, think of a tree, right? Uh, and the fruit on that tree, the Spirit is that tree. Uh, and when what is being plucked off of that tree is all nine of these qualities, isn't that awesome? All nine of them, the Spirit wants to produce in our lives. That's what these are, right? But faithfulness is something we all need, don't we? Faithfulness is something we all need uh, in our relationships, with our spouse, with our kids, with uh, uh, people outside, uh, you know, in our relationships with friends. Listen, faithfulness is something you need in the workplace. Faithfulness is something you need as an employer as well as an employee. Faithfulness, right? To be faithful uh, in our relationships. That's the idea here that uh, Paul wants us to understand, right? This is all context of relationships. These are meant to be lived out in the context of relationships. Faithfulness. Well, what does it mean, faithfulness? Well, the word in the Greek means this, the character of one who can be relied upon. The character of one who can be relied upon. Raise your hand if you want people to be that in your life today, right? I want some people to be faithful, right? I want people uh, that that I can rely upon them, that when they say they're going to do what they're going to do, they're going to do it, whether you're an employer and you're hiring employees or whether you're, uh, you know, whatever, doing anything in life. You want people to be faithful to you. And I find that to be kind of interesting, don't you? That the Spirit would even need to produce that in us. Right? Wouldn't we think that like, faithfulness would just be natural? Faithfulness would be something that's in us. Like, we shouldn't need God to produce faithfulness in us, but God's like, hey, guess what? You don't have faithfulness in you, and I will produce it for you through the Spirit of God. I find that to be absolutely intriguing. Listen to what Proverbs says in chapter 20 and verse 6. Uh, this is Solomon, the wisest man on earth, right? And he said a lot of amazing things in the book of Proverbs. In fact, we may do a series in Proverbs here uh, once we finish Galatians. But uh, he said this in verse 6, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. Let's just stop there for a minute. What is he saying? He says, people, people are prone to say, oh, I'm so faithful, right? Uh, people are very prone, as human beings, we're very prone to like uplift ourselves and self-promote and that sort of thing. But uh, Solomon says, but a faithful man, who really can find, right? A faithful man who can, who can find. And Solomon's like, it's really hard to find someone in life who is reliable, who is faithful in life. And, and, and that is sad, isn't it? It's sad that we, we have to try hard to look for someone in life who is faithful. But it shouldn't be that way in the church, should it? 
That, that when it comes to Christians, the mark of a Christian, the thing that fills us and, and marks us, the character that is within us ought to be faithfulness. You know, every employer in this valley ought to say, man, I would love to hire a Christian. <laughs> I wonder how true that statement is, right? I would love to hire a Christian because they're faithful. I would love to hire a Christian because they're reliable and they keep their word and they do their job. That should be the case with every single one of us, right? We, we, we should be faithful in everything we do in life, amen? Everything we do in life, we should be faithful. And God, of course, is really the epitome of faithfulness, right? Uh, as you look at scripture, you find that God is faithful always in everything he does. Let me give you just a few examples. I won't give you as many as I did last week. <laughs> I know some of you are like, really? Could you stop? Like, I can't handle this, right? Uh, I'll, I'll kind of tone that down a little bit. I just can't help myself. There's so many wonderful passages to look at, and that's good, right? We should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and sometimes it's just like, put as much of it in your soul and in your mind and in your heart as you possibly can, uh, but is God faithful? Do the scriptures speak of this? Psalm chapter 36 and verse five. The psalmist says this, your steadfast love, O Lord, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Uh, it's without measure. I mean, it's, it's innumerable. Your, your faithfulness, he speaks of. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter three, Paul just says simply, God is faithful. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like Paul, through his, through his life, and listen, through his hardships and his trials could still say, God is faithful and that you can trust him. Some of you might be here this morning and you might not believe that. You might be here this morning and you might say, that's great that the Bible says that and that some people experience God's faithfulness, but for me right now where I'm at in my circumstances of life, I, I can't believe in the faithfulness of God. And you're determining God's faithfulness based upon what you want or don't want to happen in your life. And you would say, I don't know, is God really faithful? Can I tell you this morning and put you at ease that God's okay with your questions? Like God's okay with you grappling with truth. God's okay with you questioning whether or not he is faithful because he wants you to wrestle with the truth and put him to the test to see, is he really true? And is he really faithful? God desires for you and I to wrestle with those hard questions in life because, listen, once you do that, you discover, right? You discover the depth and the faithfulness of God, right? But here's the thing. You're never going to experience God's faithfulness, at least I don't believe, uh, in big ways. And we all want to experience God's faithfulness in big ways, right? We want those big moments. We want those big experiences. God's faithfulness, like it was evident God showed up in a big way. We all want that, but you're never going to experience God's faithfulness in a big way in your life if you're not willing to step out by faith and believe him. Isn't that true? Like if there's never gonna be a moment in your life where you say, yes, God, I'm gonna take the step because I believe. I don't think we can ever expect to see God work in big, faithful ways in our lives. And you really see that all throughout Scripture. Let me show you just a few examples. In Matthew 21, 21, Jesus is, uh, he just talked about the parable of the fig tree, and we won't go into all the details, but read it you know, for yourself so you can understand the context. But he says this, truly I say to you, if you have faith, if you believe, right? That's that idea of like, I'm gonna believe it even, even though I don't see it. Even though I don't see you know, the, the evidence, I'm gonna still believe it. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Faith to believe in the faithfulness of God. 
faith to believe in the power and the sovereignty and the ability of a God who is in control of it all. Do we really believe that? You see, it's through our faith in God's ability and sovereignty that big things are accomplished. But when we have little faith, what do we see? We often see little things, right? Remember the story in Matthew 17. You're like, Matthew 17. If you said that to me, I'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Let me read it, and I'll I'll remember it. But the disciples, there's this guy who has a son, and his son is demon-possessed. He's like, like, is that something that happened? Yeah, it was something that happened all the time. In fact, I think it's something that happens in our day and age. We just don't see it as much because it's masked by all the drugs that we take in in our nation today. Uh, But that's something that was very common. And so uh, this guy has a son and he's demon possessed and he comes to the disciples and the disciples are like, hey, we'll give it a try. And they can't do it. Do you remember this story now? Is it kind of coming back? And so Jesus comes and Jesus in a moment speaks the words and this demon comes out of this boy and he's back, restored back to his normal state. And guess what the disciples do? Why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do this? Notice Jesus' answer in Matthew 17, 20. He said to them, because of your, what? Little faith. Because of your little faith, right? Uh, For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, just a little faith, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. See, it takes faith, right? To trust in the faithfulness of God. It takes faith for you to say, I'm gonna walk in the Spirit. Does it not? It takes faith for you to wake up on Monday morning and go, hey, guess what? I really don't have this figured out. I can't you know, live a single day. I can't go to work. I can't successfully be a dad, be a mom, be a, uh, be a husband, be, be, be a wife. I can't do anything in life apart from the Spirit. It takes faith for you to live that way and say, I need to walk by the Spirit of God. And guess what? The more faith you have, the more faithful you will become. Isn't that true? The more faith you have and build and build and build moment by moment as you walk in life, guess what? The more faithful you become. You see, the more moments you trust and I trust in the Spirit, the more we learn to be faithful because we understand not only from the Scriptures, it's true, but we understand from our own experience. And that's so important, is it? Is it not? That we don't define uh, you know, what is true based on our experience, but we first go to the Scriptures and we say it's true because the scriptures say it, and I found it to be true based upon my experience as well. Listen to what commentator Leon Morris said. He said, the ability to serve God faithfully through the years and through the uh, temptations of life is not something we achieve by heroic virtue. It comes from the Spirit. And I'm glad for that, aren't you? I'm glad that, that faithfulness is not something. I've got to be this like heroic Christian, super religious Christian, and if I'm that, then man, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. It's not because of that. It's because of him. And I'm so very glad for that. I'm glad that, that I don't have to produce my own faithfulness because if it were up to me, I wouldn't be faithful. If it were up to me alone, I would not be faithful to the Lord whatsoever. And I love that because he gets glory, amen? He gets glory even for your faithfulness. That's so awesome, isn't it? James 1.17 says everything. Every good gift, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, uh, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so your very faithfulness is a gift from God produced in you by the Spirit of God as you choose to walk in Him. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. These are things that God wants to produce in us as we walk in Him. And what a difference it can make, Right? What a difference a little bit of faithfulness could make in your life, in your relationships. Do you have that today, right? Do you have it? If you don't, you can. 
through the Spirit of God. Here's number eight as we move on. The Spirit not only produces faithfulness, but the Spirit produces gentleness. Gentleness. And boy, do we ever need uh, the Spirit of meekness, of gentleness in our lives today. Verse 23 simply says that the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Gentleness. The word in the Greek is the word proutes, and it means simply this, humility with a gentle edge. Humility with a gentle edge. I like that. It's got an edge, right? But it's gentle. Uh, it's the idea of humility in life, that we would walk through life with a gentle spirit. And it's really the opposite of what the flesh produces, right? When you look at that list that we looked at several weeks ago in verses 19 through, uh, I think it was 21, our flesh doesn't produce gentleness. Our flesh is, is not naturally producing these things, but it does produce things like fits of anger, right? And enmity and strife and jealousy and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and all of this ugly, nasty stuff our flesh produces, but it does not produce gentleness. It does not produce gentleness. It's really the opposite. Uh, our flesh produces the opposite of this very thing. And, and how you respond and how I respond to one another matters, right? Remember, context, relationships, Right? This fruit is meant to be shared. It's supposed to be lived out. We're, we're meant to be gentle, to be meek, to be humble with one another. Uh, gentleness to one another is an important thing. Do you respond with gentleness or do you respond with anger? Right? You've got to look at your life. We, we've got to look in the mirror. We've got to say, like, what is really coming out of me? What are the things being produced in me? I, I've used this illustration often, uh, but I'll use it again here because it, 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 it makes a lot of sense. If I shake this, what comes out of it? You're like, why are you shaking water on the stage? What comes out of it? Water, right? When you shake a water bottle with a cap off, water's going to come out of it. And, and the same is true in your life. When you're shaken, what comes out of you? What comes out of your life? Uh, you're going to be shaken. Can we just like be done with that, right? You're going to be shaken. And you might be shaken when you leave here today, when you walk out and you get in the truck. There's going to be a moment. There's going to be something that's going to shake your life. But what's coming out of you? reveals what's in you, is it not? And what comes out of us ought to be the Spirit of God. Man, that's so convicting for me. Can I just be honest with you and say that's convicting for me uh, personally? Uh, I so often in life have to stop and ask God, lead me in this situation because the moments arise so often that my flesh already has an answer and already has a response. Ooh, I know what I'm going to say. I'd be like, Whoop. God, lead me in this. Because I know that my first response is going to be ungodly, and I need you to lead me in order that I might have some gentleness in this situation. Jesus was gentle, was he not? I, I find this, I think so many times we read things, we're like, of course Jesus was gentle. I mean, like, why of course? Like, when you read the scriptures and you see who Jesus is, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't call for humility. I mean, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was crucified, and you still saw the humility of Jesus submitting himself to the Father's plan. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Whoosh! Spear in the side. Humility. It's amazing, church. This is who we see in the character that we see in Jesus Christ is this constant humility despite knowing who he is. And we'll talk about who he is in just a moment. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1, Paul says, uh, I, I entreat you, or I implore with you, I plead with you, he says, um, by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. 
that I want you to know that, that Jesus is this. He is meek, he is kind, he is gentle, he is humble. And in fact, Jesus would say this of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Meekness, gentleness, humility, it describes the very character of Christ. And I find that kind of odd. Uh, and, and I find it odd because you don't expect the creator of the universe to be gentle. At least I don't think in those terms. You think like creator, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, you know, God, uh, and he's gentle, right? I don't, I don't know. It reminds me of a line in the movie in the book, The Lion in the Witch in the Wardrobe. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've not read it or seen it, man, you need to read that book, uh, C.S. Lewis, and then, of course, the, um, the movies that were made uh, later after it. But there's such a wonderful, so many wonderful lines and so many wonderful uh, ideas in this book. But uh, there, there's a, a character in the book named Aslan, right? You're familiar with Aslan. And Aslan is the lion in the book, and he typifies the Messiah. If, if you didn't know that, he is, uh, he is symbolic of Jesus. He is symbolic of God uh, in C.S. Lewis's writings. And there's a line in the book uh, where, where Lucy, one of the, the, the youngest uh, siblings, all the kids, they go through the wardrobe, if you're not familiar with the story, and they, oh, they come through the other side into this wonderland called Narnia, uh, where there's, you know, talking animals and all this just, you know, amazing things. And so Lucy, they're all going and they're going to meet Aslan for the first time. And they know that he's a lion. And so Lucy, as this young little girl, she naturally asks this question, is he safe? Is he safe? Right, because like in our world, a lion is like top of the food chain, you know, just like, hey, kitty, 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 you know? You know, it's a lion, right? And so she naturally asks, is Aslan safe? And you gotta watch the movie, but she's talking to a talking beaver. <laughs> so Mrs. Beaver replies and she says this, she goes, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Boy, I love that line. Isn't that amazing? Uh, what an amazing depiction of who Christ is. Uh, the, the one, listen, Jesus, God has described it as the one, don't fear man, don't fear what man can do to you, the scriptures say, but fear the one who can, who can destroy both your body and soul in hell. Fear him, right? Who is he speaking to? He's speaking about the Lord right? Uh, and, and so, is, is God safe? No, he's not safe, right? But he's good, and he's gentle, and he's, he's kind. I'll try not to go too far down this rabbit hole this morning, but how you perceive Christ matters. Let me remind you this morning, Jesus is not bobblehead Jesus on your dash cruising through life with you, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus, my bro, kind of cruising, you know, he's just like, yeah, there's Jesus cruising through life with me. Like, he ain't your bro cruising through life. Uh, he's the blazing image of the true God, the one true God. This is who Jesus is. Like, we need to have the correct image of who Christ is. We need to fear him. We need to have a reverential awe for him. I love what Revelation uh, chapter 1, uh, in verses 12 through 17 says, this is John uh, on the Isle of Patmos, like, is Jesus, like, is he a bobblehead Jesus kind of guy, right? Or is he something different? Uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos, and he hears this voice 
right? And he turns, we pick it up in verse number 12. It says, and then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in verse 13, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. In verse 14, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Uh, his feet were like burnished bra- uh, bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I felt at his feet as though dead. Is he safe? No, he's not safe. But is he gentle? Notice the next verse. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and I am the last. That sends chills down my spine. Who is Jesus? He is the blazing image of the one true God. And we, we need to have the correct view of who Christ is. And so if Christ is gentle, if Christ is gentle, even though he's the creator, the sustainer, he has all power and all authority. He can destroy both body and soul in hell, right? If he, having all of that power and having all of that wisdom and all of these things is still gentle, how much more should we be gentle with each other? Listen, let me take that one step further. How much more should we be gentle with a, with a dark, evil, corrupt, blinded world? Amen? Uh, listen, here, here's the thing. The most important thing the world needs to see from us is not, uh, in, in, or, or understand about us, listen, is not our political viewpoints on every issue in life. Uh, the world doesn't need our, our every political viewpoint on every matter we face in life or whatever the case might be. What the world needs most is to see the gospel and hear the gospel being lived out and breathed out in our very lives. Amen? That's what they need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit wants to produce gentleness, the very gentleness of Christ so that we might we might see people ushered into the kingdom of God. Here's the last one. You ready for this? Number nine, the Spirit produces self-control, right? Self-control. There's not a single person in this room who is like, nope, not me. Don't need that one. I'm all good. Got enough, right? I'm good. Everybody needs some self-control. The Spirit produces, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and is self-control. The word is ekrotea uh, in the Greek, and it means the power to keep your sin in check, how many, how many of us need that, right? We, need it. we all need a little bit of that, right? The power to keep our sin in check. Self-control is something that really touches everything we do uh, on a daily basis. We need self-control for the words that we speak, amen? Like I need a little self-control for the words that come out of my mouth. We need a little self-control in, in what we share with other people in life, right? Uh, be careful about the gossip that, that we spread. Like we need some self-control in, either, in order to know, like, should I share this or should I not share this, right? Uh, we need self-control when it comes to the food we eat. Oh, no. Self-control with the things we put in our mouth even, right? I mean, uh, what we say, what we do, the places we go uh, physically, the places we go online, we need self-control when it comes to the things that we often indulge in uh, in our lives. Self-control. Man, think about this. How much our relationships would benefit from a little self-control? How much would your workplace benefit if everyone had just a little self-control, right? Uh, how, how much could your relationship with your spouse benefit if you had a little self-control, right? We want our kids to have self-control, but they're looking at mom and dad saying, you have no self-control, right? 
uh, what they see in us is often what they repeat. But let me give you a few uh, scriptures. Second Peter chapter one and verses five and six. He, uh, Peter says this, for this very reason, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And then check out verse eight. He says this, if these be in you, all of these qualities, these things that the Spirit often produces in us, if they're in you and they're yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be ineffective. I don't know about you, but I don't want my life to be unfruitful for the Lord. I don't want to get to heaven and God be like, you know what, great life, John, but it was all worthless because you lived for the wrong things. You invested in the wrong things. You spent more time producing things that, that the world is after and the world uh, proclaims than, than you, uh, than you uh, uh, lived your life for me, right? I want my life to produce something that's fruitful. And only God can do that. And Paul says, look, if these qualities are yours, and guess what, they're yours if you want them. That's the amazing thing about this, right? They're yours if you want them. They're yours if you decide today to walk in the Spirit and let Him increase those things continually in your life and mine. So we have faithfulness, and we have gentleness, and now we have self-control. Wow, we did it. We got through all of them, right? And now we have very little time to get through uh, three verses. Um, but let's just jump through this real quick. Paul says, against such thing there is no law. And what Paul, I think there's a little bit of sarc. I see a lot of sarcasm in scripture. I don't know about you, um, but sarc sarcasm, I think, is another gift of the Spirit. And, and I, I definitely have it. I definitely have been given that gift. Um, but against such thing, there is no law. And the reason I say there's probably some sarcasm there, because remember, Paul's dealing with false teachers who are all like, it's got to be the law. You got to follow the law. You got to be, be a Jew. You got to do all of these things. And Paul says, guess what? Against all of these things, there is no law against love. There is no law against patience. There is no law against goodness, right? None of these things, there's not a law, right? And remember, again, Paul's dealing with these false teachers who say you need the law and the law is gonna sanctify you and the law is gonna justify you. But you don't need the law, right? Uh, to keep you from doing wrong when you're living by the Spirit. And that's Paul's point. You don't need the law when you have love. You don't need a law to tell you what to do or what not to do when you are driven by the Spirit of God to produce things like kindness and goodness in the lives of other people. Uh, and neither can this law uh, uh, produce any of those things in us. And so that's Paul's point there. And then he moves on in verses 24 through 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let me just blaze through these really quick. Paul's saying, hey, look, let's march in time with the Spirit. And I like that, don't you? that we would keep in step with the Spirit of God, that, that the idea here is like a soldier marching in time uh, with his or her commander. They're following uh, their, their lead, and they're saying, I'm going to keep in step with where you go, how you walk, and when you walk, right? And the same is true for you and I. We need to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And then he says this, and in, in, uh, actually I'm jumping ahead here, uh, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. Who belongs to Christ? Who belongs to Christ? Uh, those that believe the gospel. Uh, let me tell you this morning, uh, not everyone belongs to Christ, but everyone can belong to Christ, amen? 
Uh, not everyone belongs to Christ, but everyone can. How do you belong to Christ? You believe in the gospel that Jesus died for you. Maybe this is the most important thing you hear this morning. Jesus died to pay the penalty of sin for you. He says, you can't do it, but I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to step in your place. That's what Jesus has already done for you, and it's how he's expressed his love for mankind by dying on a cross. But he didn't just die. He was buried, and three days later, he rose bodily, physically from the grave, and he sits on the right hand of the throne of God forever. And he conquered sin, and he conquered death for you. And he says, just believe in this. Believe in what I have done for you, and you belong to Christ. But notice what Paul says. Those that have belonged to Christ, they have crucified the flesh. And that's you and I making a determination in our hearts and our minds, saying, you know what? I'm going to crucify, I'm going to put to death my sin. Romans 8, we don't have time to read that this morning, but we put to death the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Read Romans 8, and you'll find that to be true. But then Paul gives us this one last description, and we'll uh, wrap it up with this. Uh, He says in, in verse 26, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Why would he end with this? Like, wait a minute, why are you ending with this, Paul? Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Uh, Here's what I think, and you might agree with this. We have a tendency, do we not, to become conceited and self-righteous. We have a tendency in life, especially the longer you live and the longer you're a Christian, we have a tendency to kind of say, you know, look at my life, look at my fruit, look at where I'm at and you're not, and we have a tendency to kind of, you know, uh, upplay our our abilities and upplay all of these qualities in our life, we have a tendency to become very, very self-righteous. And Paul says, I want you to be careful that you not become just like these false teachers, these people who are so uh, into themselves and so into their works and so into the outward appearance of religion. Paul says, don't do that. Don't allow yourself to become conceited in life. Listen, we ought to encourage one another so much, so much so that we applaud and we look at each other's lives and say, I'm so thankful for the growth and the victories in your life. Even though I may not be there, I'm thankful for what God is doing in your life. Amen? That's how we ought to live. Fruit is meant to be shared. Would you stand one last time as we get ready to close this morning? Invite our worship team back up to kind of close this out this morning. Listen, my hope and my prayer for all of us this morning My hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would just take one step closer today to walking in the Spirit. It'd be great if you took a leap. Like, nobody's going to be like, whoa, tiger, you know? It'd be great if you took a leap. But often it's just a walk, right? It's just a step. What if you just took a step? And then tomorrow, what if you took another step? And you just, every single day, you say, I'm going to take one small step towards walking in the Spirit and letting the Spirit of God control my life. What could happen if every single day you just put all those steps together, one after another, saying, I'm going to, I'm going to walk, I'm going to let Him lead my life. What could happen in your life? What could happen is the fruit of the Spirit. Things like love, God's divine, agape, sacrificial kind of love, things like joy, things like patience and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What could, what could change in your life if these were the things that were produced continually in you? There's not a person in this room that doesn't want that. We all want that. And it's a daily, day in, day out battle struggle to say, I'm going to choose the Spirit over me. I'm going to choose the Spirit over me. This is the fruit that the Spirit, listen to me, will produce, not might, but will produce 
will produce, because he is faithful. He is faithful to keep his word and to do what, what is part of his character, and that is to be truthful and faithful to keep his word always. This is who he is. He will produce it in us if we so choose. Isn't that amazing that God leaves you and I with that decision to say, I, I'm going to choose. God doesn't force you. He doesn't strong arm you into these things, but he says, I will let you choose whether you want to walk in me and the grace and the power and the victory and the blessings and the riches, but I'll also let you squander it. And so it's your choice today as we wrap up this section of walking in the Spirit. We'll kind of come back to it in, in, in chapter 6 a little bit, but it's your choice. And I pray that it doesn't fall on deaf ears, and I pray that you would be motivated to leave here and not just be like, oh, good message, and it just like leaves your life. I pray that you wake up from your nap this afternoon and say, I need to walk in the Spirit. And that you get up on Monday morning and say, this week, I'm going to make a concerted effort to give my life completely submitted to my Savior, Jesus, who is the divine glory and image of the one true God. Father God, we're so grateful for your love, for your mercy. We praise you for who you are, that you love us despite us, that you extend all of these amazing fruits to be given to us. Lord, what, what riches and what an impact it could have on our relationships with one another in this room. What an impact it could have upon this community that needs desperately all of these things to be seen in us. God, may it be so with us. May we leave here not just be being hearers of your word, but God, help us to be doers of your word. And may your spirit lead us. We submit ourselves to you today in Christ's name. Amen. Worship one last time with us.